the Sustainable Investing Podcast by Aberdeen. Hello, I'm Eva Cairns, your host for today, and you're listening to the Aberdeen Sustainable Investing Podcast, discussing all things relating to sustainable and responsible investing. I'm delighted to introduce our guest for today, Craig McKenzie. Craig is Head of Strategic Asset Allocation Research and Multi-Asset Climate Solutions at Aberdeen. He's been working in the industry for over 20 years, most of it in ESG. He was involved in the foundation of the United Nations PRI, Principles for Responsible Investing, the FTSE for Good and the Carbon Disclosure Project. And he's been on the board for the Institutional Investors Group on Climate Change. Craig set up the Edinburgh University Centre for Business and Climate Change and the Climate Finance MSC. Now he's running two new climate solution strategies. Craig, it's such a pleasure to have you with us. Welcome. Hi there. So, Craig, you've been thinking about climate investing for over two decades now, long before the industry was ready for this. Can you tell us a bit more about your personal journey and career when it comes to joining up investing and climate change? Yeah, yeah. I, I started in, in, in the investment industry in, in the late 90s. Uh, and I, I, my first job in the industry was, was uh, a kind of research analyst for, for an ethical investment fund, the first ethical investment fund in the UK, actually, as it happens. Um, but back then, all this ESG stuff was a tiny little niche, uh, sort of a fraction of 1% of all the, all the assets under management in Europe. Uh, so it's been such a huge privilege uh, and, and pleasure to see ESG blossoming into this, this huge industry that, that it is today. But it's interesting. I mean, even back then, it was very clear back in, in 2000, it was very clear that climate was the number one issue certainly on the the s and g mm-hmm. side of things and and even then the tiny little industry we were, were was pretty focused on trying to engage with companies I, I mean i remember meeting companies like shell the ceo of shell back in 2001 and, and talking them to them about their the, the fact that their product was was killing the planet yeah. so uh, it, it, it's it's amazing that they've now adopted a net zero strategy i mean we're still some debate about how yeah. how credible it is but uh, it, the, the world is certainly uh, changing yeah, so as you said, lots of progress and still a, a long way to go to get us to where we need to. Um, and, uh, and on that topic of climate investing strategies, you, you're now managing two recently launched multi-asset climate strategies. Can you tell us a bit more about the concept and what they're trying to, to achieve and, and, and why is now the right time to invest in the climate theme? So, so it's, it's pretty clear that the world is going to go through a pretty... Uh, radical change uh, over the next 20 or 30 years. There's, there's a big debate about whether that change is going to be fast enough, but it's absolutely clear that, that a combination of really quite rapid technological progress on, on solar, wind, batteries, electric vehicles, and, and other uh, kind of green technologies, plus uh, much more ambitious government action is going to drive wholesale changes in the energy sector, in the transport sector, in uh, heating, in, in numerous industrial systems, the manufacture of steel, manufacture of cement. A wide range of, of, of key parts of the economy are going to go through a radical transformation. And these kind of radical disruptive changes are really exciting opportunities for investors because it's in these changes that you see tiny companies grow into giants of the future. So, so kind of back in 2000, uh, 
companies like Amazon and Google existed, but they were relatively small, tiny little market shares. Uh, they've now become the, the kind of the giants of, of the global economy. And that's going to happen in, in some of these green technologies. We're going to see very large uh, kind of green power companies, green green uh, industrial companies. Uh, Tesla uh, this week uh, has, has breached the one trillion dollar mark uh, in terms of its, its valuation. So, so we think there's a really exciting long-term structural investment theme here. And while the, a few of the really high-profile names like Tesla, I think, I think the, the, the kind of the, the future earnings growth potential of these companies is now fairly fully priced in. That isn't the case for a lot of the, the, the kind of below-the-radar technologies. And so our approach to this theme is to really look quite hard across the full global opportunity set uh, for climate solutions, uh, really delving into the small cap uh, sectors, looking looking across different asset classes like, like renewable energy infrastructure to find opportunities where there is still going to be substantial growth uh, and substantial value, uh, which allows investors to expect higher long term returns. So as you say, there's lots happening in terms of the um, the industry and the investment opportunities it provides in investing in climate solutions. But I think at the same time, we're seeing a concern in the industry about greenwashing and whether sustainable investment funds are really investing in climate solutions. Do you think this is a problem? What What is your approach and how do you demonstrate, how do you differentiate you know, truly credible investing in climate solutions versus greenwashing? Yeah, I, I think it is it is a problem, and in fact, it's it's not just me who thinks this. The, the regulators uh, in in the UK, uh, the FCA, uh, wrote a letter to asset managers recently uh, expressing concern about greenwashing. The European regulators have introduced a, a big new regulatory framework to try and stamp out greenwashing. So it is a real problem. There, there are lots and lots of funds out there that call themselves sustainable, that even even put the climate word in in their fund. Uh, title, but end up investing in pretty bog standard companies that don't have uh, a particularly strong exposure to the exciting kind of climate theme that I, I outlined. And, and actually, I think that's often for a very simple reason. A lot of these funds are benchmarked against sort of MSCI Global Equity Index uh, or some other, some other standard equity benchmark. And in order to manage the risk against that benchmark, they need they need to hold the, the big mega cap names. Um, and the big mega cap names are not terribly uh, climate, they're not driving the climate solutions. So we, we're making use of a new uh, regulatory framework called the EU Taxonomy of Sustainable Activities, which provides an objective definition of sustainability. And provides a 600-page rulebook to identify business activities and companies that are genuinely uh, driving the transition to a sub-two-degree world. And so we've, we've kind of scoured the global investment universe of, of 9,000 companies to find those genuinely green names. And, and we only invest in those names and, and we won't invest uh, in, our, in our climate opportunity strategies in the mainstream mega cap companies, with the perhaps exception of, of a company like Tesla, where it is a mega cap, but it's clearly contributing to, to climate solutions. That, that, that's interesting. And also, see, your strategies are um, multi-asset and uh, multi-asset strategies. Um, what would you say is the benefit of 
of using those. Can you bring this to life for us with maybe a couple of examples of the type of assets you would invest in your multi-asset climate strategies? Yeah, so one of the, the downsides of, of having a really uh, sort of focused uh, approach to climate solutions is it can be a bit of a roller coaster ride. There are now some some kind of cheap and cheerful ETFs out there that track clean energy indices and, and really focused kind of climate solution type indices, but they can be hugely volatile. The S&P Clean Energy Index, for example, in the last 12 months went up 60% and then fell 30%. For, for most most investors, that kind of volatility is really uncomfortable. So we've we've found with our, our, our pretty careful modeling that if you combine green equities with green bonds, green bonds are a huge new kind of category in the, the investment world, but they're they're much less volatile, much less risky. If you combine green equities and green bonds, uh, also uh, things like green infrastructure there there are huge opportunities for investors to invest in operational wind farms and solar parks and, and battery storage plants uh, if you combine these different kinds of asset classes you get really strong diversification and that reduces the risk so we've been able to get pure exposure to the climate theme with less than half the volatility half the risk of some of these uh, pure play indices and etfs so, so that's how we think multi-asset can can help investors have their cake and eat it, have the green exposure, but without the roller coaster ride. And what about the challenge of really actually measuring real-world impact? So, you know, many in the industry are focused just on on decarbonisation, for example, and net zero line decarbonisation trajectories, which can sometimes have you know unintended consequences that don't really help support the transition to net zero by just simply you know divesting from some carbon-intensive industries that we however you know need in 2050 we need them to transition and be part of the solution you've obviously talked about um the, the solution focus of your strategies but how do you tackle this um this this aspect of measuring impact on on, on real world decap real world contribution to net zero um yeah i i think that the measurement question is is kind of quite challenging there, there are some new methods for uh, assessing avoided emissions so if you if you build a, a wind farm you're displacing generation that would have otherwise come from gas or coal and so your wind farm is is avoiding carbon emissions that would have otherwise be generated and we are exploring these 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 methods because that's essentially what these strategies invest in it's the portfolios are entirely full of, of wind farms solar farms battery plants wind turbine manufacturers, solar panel manufacturers, uh, all of the kind of technologies that are driving the change. Um, and so, so that gives me some hope that we, we might be able to measure it. But at, at one level, I'm not, I'm not sure that our customers are all that concerned if you can demonstrate to them that you're only investing in the companies that are driving the transition to a low carbon economy. So if, if I tell a customer that, I, that I'm only going to be investing in wind farms and solar parks and uh, electric vehicles and, and battery tech, they're reasonably comfortable to accept that there is a positive impact from those activities without me having to come up with some number of the number yeah. of sort of tons of carbon I've, I've saved yeah. the economy. At the end of the day, I do want to try and measure that, but I don't think that's the, the, the be all and end all for this, this kind of strategy. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point because the industry is so focused on kind of standardizing metrics and measurements. But when you look at what's What's in the strategy is pretty intuitive uh, in terms of the real world impact that it has, as you were saying. So that's quite interesting. And, and 
talking about your role as the head of strategic asset allocation, uh, you've also published an award-winning paper recently on how to incorporate climate change as a third dimension into the strategic asset allocation process. So can you tell us a bit more about that and explain how this should be done? So uh, I mean, it's a, it's a strategic asset allocation is quite a, a kind of a wonky technical uh, topic. So, so I'll do, just give you a kind of, uh, I suppose, a bit of a case study. A number of our biggest clients, including our very biggest client, Phoenix, have committed to net zero for their portfolios. So, so they're essentially intending to reduce the carbon exposure of, of their portfolios towards zero by, by 2050. But of course, Phoenix, like, like most of our clients, has legal obligations to serve the financial interests of its beneficiaries. And so if you're going to adopt a net zero strategy, you really do need to convince clients uh, and, and regulators that you've thought through the investment implications of that strategy. So we've found that if you integrate climate scenario analysis into the strategic asset allocation process, you can provide some proper investment governance to a net zero uh, framework. So we've kind of we've we've taken our climate scenarios, what we our, our kind of best case projections for what we think will actually happen, not kind of wishful thinking that the world's definitely going to hit net zero by 2050, a kind of best expected view of, of the future. And we've we've run the the Phoenix portfolios through those climate scenarios to sort of stress test their decision to 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 see whether the the portfolios will be robust in the face of a wide variety of climate scenarios and the results are really really kind of positive that that net zero portfolios can perform under quite a wide range of, of climate scenarios and the risk of, of material detriment to investors is is pretty small that's really great to see how we can think about incorporating climate change into that process and uh, and and maybe we will move on to just a final question to leave um something inspirational for for our listeners is there anything any are there any people or any eye-opening moments that have inspired you on your journey or is there anything you would recommend in terms of books or podcasts for our listeners for example yeah, well, I, I, the thing that's got me, I mean, way back in, in sort of 15 years ago, the, the things that got me really excited about climate, because I have to say, uh, in, in the early 2000s, it was a pretty depressing place to be uh, thinking about the climate, because at that point, no policymakers were really doing anything about about climate. Uh, and, and you really felt that we were on, on the road to a four or five degree apocalypse. And so it was quite hard to find optimism. But the kind of the, the optimism that I found and the optimism that has has exceeded by some margin the the, the expectations of mo most uh, kind of analysts back in the early 2000s is optimism about technology. We really have seen re radical um, progress in in bringing down the costs of uh, renewable uh, power generation by by kind of 80, 80 even 90 percent over the last 15 years. Uh, something similar is is in in the process of happening with electric vehicles. By by the late 2020s, electric vehicles are going to be cheaper to buy than gasoline driven driven vehicles, and they're already cheaper to own over their life cycle. And and we're going to see uh, this happen, I think, to hydrogen, which will allow us to have renewable heat in our in our homes. And right across across the board, technology is enabling us to exceed our ambitions on climate and it makes it so much easier for policymakers if you know that you're 
your climate transition actually will end up saving you money and being good for the economy rather than a kind of tax burden. Um, so so I've, I've I, the, the, probably the biggest sort of inspiration on the, on the kind of technology side, there's, a, there's a, a, an organization in the US called the Rocky Mountain Institute, which has been working on this kind of technology theme for the last 20 years. Their, their, their founder, a guy called Amory Lovins, has written a number of, of, of books on this, where I remember back in kind of 2005, he was talking about how technology, technological change could increase energy efficiency, resource efficiency by a factor of four for the same price and right across the economy. And, and so I think that's a really exciting hope to have that we can, we can fight this, this kind of climate problem and a wide range of other environmental problems by revolutionizing the technologies we use in our lives. Well, that's such a great optimistic point to finish on. Um, we've, we've now come to the end of our podcast and it's been such a pleasure to have you with us. So thanks a lot for your time and all your inspirational contributions, Craig. Thank you, Ava. It's been a, it's been a pleasure to, to join you. You've been listening to the Aberdeen Sustainable Investing Podcast, a podcast relating to all things responsible and sustainable investing, and today a focus on multi-asset climate investment strategies. Thank you all for tuning in. You can find all our episodes on various podcast channels such as Spotify and Apple, as well as on the Aberdeen website. Until our next podcast, goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Sustainable Investing Podcast brought to you by Aberdeen. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and for more great content, visit aberdeen.com. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.